Amazon is hiring near you. Earn a competitive wage and start as soon as seven days. No resume or experience required. Health and safety are a top priority with all of our roles and sites. Amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy. Go to amazon.com slash apply. That's amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer. The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Live from our nation's capital, it's Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Welcome to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. I'm Brad Bannon. I'm a Democratic strategist, uh, a columnist for the Hill in Washington, DC, and a political analyst for news radio stations KNX in Los Angeles and WGN in Chicago. My company, Bannon Communications Research, polls for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. BannonCR.com is the sponsor of today's show. If you want to learn more about me and my political polling company, or if you want to make suggestions or have ideas for Deadline DC, uh, the best way to reach me is on Twitter. My Twitter handle is BradBannon, all one word. Welcome to all of you who are watching me on Twitter or Periscope. Now everyone can watch the show by going to periscope.tv front slash Brad Bannon. You can also see the show on Facebook Live. The Democratic National Convention starts today and we'll devote today's show to a preview. Our guest uh, in this hour will be Kimberly Scott, the publisher of Demlist, Congressman Ro Kahana, and Democratic strategist Anissa Singh. Our first guest today is Kimberly Scott. Kim is publisher of the uh, of Demlist uh, and the editor of Dem Daily, a political column which is devoted to educating and informing the public about the Democratic Party policy and politics. Sign up for the column at www.demlist.com. The Twitter handle is the Dem List. Welcome back to Deadline DC, Kim. It's glad, good to have you. I'm sure it's probably a busy day for you since it's the first day of the big uh, party, uh, the virtual party that uh, formerly out of Milwaukee. Okay, let's start today. Uh, we have a powerhouse lineup uh, tonight. The theme of tonight's uh, convention festivities uh, are the, are we the people. Uh, we have, among others, uh, the former First Lady Michelle Obama. Uh, we have uh, Bernie Sanders uh, and also former Republican Governor John Kasich of Ohio. What, expect to, what can our viewers and listeners expect to see tonight? Well, in the historic unconventional conventional, um, they have put together quite a lineup. Uh, there were some people 
have been very disappointed by not actually being there. And at this point, we will be running around with a lanyard, which is at a convention, as important as your cell phone is. It would be filled with credentials. This one from Snoop Dogg. Um, but instead, we're all watching virtually. Um, nevertheless, it should be quite a show. Uh, tonight's will kick off with Eva Longoria, the actress, um, and then go through a series of speeches by various select officials. We've got Question uh, Whitmer. We have Senator Captain Cordesto, Amy Klobuchar. Usually with the commission, they try to throw out place people who were contenders during the presidential and also those who are in background states. And the drop day and the lineup for each day can be seen on my website and the Democratic calendar, which I put out every four years during the convention at www.timless.com. So throughout the day, before this program, there are state delegation events held in their respective states. And when we're open, there are uh, seminars, virtual roundtable. Um, there are the coalition events. The Biden has over 20 constituency coalitions. And, of course, the DNC itself has its own council and caucus meetings, which are open to the public. And those are happening now until pre-gavel, as we call it, which is at 8 o'clock. Okay. Uh, now, uh, one of the, uh, of course, this whole convention is an experiment. Uh, it's uh, never been done before. Uh, so, uh, do you expect there are going to be any glitches tonight? I mean, they're mixing pre-recorded events with, uh, uh, live events. Uh, they've got a ton of speakers. Uh, do you expect, uh, there are going to be any glitches tonight? I actually don't. You know, they've had the time to prepare for, prepare for this. It's been several months now since they decided to, Go only virtual and now all virtual. Um, it's also being produced by an award-winning, Emmy award-winning producer who does the Emmy Awards, the Super Bowl halftime. They know what they're doing. So it's a high-caliber, high-quality team. All of those people were hired early on. This actually allows for much more. So rather rather than going up with someone, you know, 25 people doing a speech on one stage, you've got much more diversity. There'll be people coming from strategic spots around the country, battleground states, cities. Um, there's going to be a, a choir that's opening up with children from every single state in the territories. It actually, it, it'll be a show worth watching. Uh, now, usually uh, at the end of these conventions, the uh, candidate gets uh, a pretty big bounce in the polls. Although, uh, since Joe Biden is ahead by double digits already, I don't know how much of a bounce he can get, uh, considering there are some, the, there's a lot of, you know, diehard Trump supporters who aren't going to support Joe Biden hell or high water. Uh, do you think that Joe Biden will get as much of a bounce out of this uh, virtual convention as he would have if we had had a traditional uh, in-person convention in Milwaukee? Well, you know, it's again, it's unknown territory. Uh, <clears throat> but the fact that the Democrats have stuck to a program and and have been well prepared for this it gives them much more 
a much better chance of getting a boost than the very disorganized and still somewhat undetermined format for the Republican convention. How much of a boost? I don't know. Um, you know, we're still missing the excitement of being on the ground in the same way as we would be watching Joe Biden in person delivering a speech, which has been his biggest challenge. Which I also think why Harris is such an asset. She is very dynamic. She's appealing. They need to make sure it was someone who could motivate the base, not just because she's a woman of color, but also in her presentation, she's got the experience. So I, I actually think, it, I said it'll be a show worth watching. But it's also an opportunity for people to tune that they <clears throat> to some of these uh, council caucuses, allied events, their pre-watch parties, things they can never be able to participate in otherwise. So whereas, you know, on the ground you would have had 50,000 people, multiply that many times over for participation in, in every program that's gone throughout the convention. But their celebrities, you know, Jennifer Hudson's going to perform one night, Billie Eilish, you know, again, the whole rundown's on demlist.com. Okay, uh, tonight one of the speakers uh, is, of course, going to be the former First Lady, Michelle Obama. Uh, I remember uh, in the last convention four years uh, four years ago, and even the convention before that, uh, she probably, her speech got more buzz than uh, any other uh, of the speakers. She's a very charismatic personality. In fact, after she talked in the last convention, there are a lot of people who said, well, gee, she should run for president. Uh, is she going to be the big story out of tonight, do you think? Absolutely. Um, I, you would know better as a pollster, but as far as I know, Michelle Obama is still probably the most popular uh, figure in the country, certainly one of them. will speak tonight. Tomorrow night will be former President Clinton and Jill Biden as the future first lady. Then we've got um, on Thursday night, Barack Obama and Kamala Harris. And then I mean, Wednesday night, and then, of course, on Thursday will be Joe, Joe Biden's speech. So I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, it should be. Um, it should be. Uh, uh, let's just uh, move forward a little bit. Uh, uh, do you think this convention is going to be a success? Uh, I mean, this, you know, my guess, well, let me ask the question a different way. Do you think this is going to be the convention of the future? Have we, uh, you know, pretty much bypassed a traditional big party every four years? And is this the way of the future? Or are we going to go back to the traditional format four years from now? It's domination, um, but there's nothing that can replace that person energy. Just like any politician or any campaign, people, voters need to feel, and I mean touch, maybe not literally feel that they're a part of it. And I think we're really seeing a Thank you. Uh, sorry I have to interrupt you, but we're out of time. I want to thank our guest, Kimberly Scott, the publisher of Demlist. If you want to find out more about Demlist, go to www.demlist.com. Thank you very much, Kim. Uh, we'll be back after these messages with Congressman Ro Khanna. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. In this segment, my guest is Representative Ro Khanna. Uh, he's in his second term representing the 17th Congressional District of California, deep in the heart of Silicon Valley. 
Uh, Roe is the first vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. He is an assistant whip of the Democratic Caucus. He was co-chair of Bernie Sanders' uh, campaign for president. And today he is the co-chair of the California delegation to the virtual Democratic Convention. Uh, Welcome back to Deadline DC, Representative Connor. Thank you, Brad. Great to be back on. Before we get to talking about the start of today's Democratic National Convention, I do want to ask you about the Postal Service. Uh, Speaker Pelosi has called the House of Representatives back in section, uh, session uh, to deal with the uh, crisis in the Postal Service. Uh, what can Congress do uh, to stop the fact that uh, Donald Trump is trying to suppress votes by closing down the Postal Service? Well, it's a very serious situation. I think more serious than even the Russian interference or Ukraine uh, situation. I mean, what you have is Donald Trump saying, I am deliberately going to target areas, uh, battleground states, uh, and slow down the delivery of mail so that some of the ballots that are returned uh, are not counted. Uh, Congress needs to not just appropriate funding for uh, the Postal Service. We need to have specific Uh, requirements, regulations about the amount of shifts that people need to work, about the overtime hours, about mail sorting machines, and have criminal uh, penalties for the postmaster general or board if they don't uh, adhere by those regulations. So I think we need to basically uh, take over the implementation of the mail service and come up with a plan of action in, in legislation. Okay, Uh, let's uh, lead into our talk about the Democratic National Convention that starts today. And again, you are the co-chair of the California Delegation to the Convention, which is the largest single delegation. Uh, How do you feel today on the opening of the convention? Are you excited, uh, anxious? Uh, How do you describe your mood? I'm very excited. I think we're going to have a great lineup. I think this party is actually very unified Uh, more so than in 2016. Uh, It's going to be great to have uh, Bernie Sanders lead us off and Michelle Obama. Uh, And uh, I I sense a lot of energy. And even with those uh, Bernie delegates who uh, were disappointed, uh, they understand the moral urgency of defeating Donald Trump. And so uh, you're going to have a very uh, unified party coming out of this and an energized party. Well, I certainly hope so. Uh, Let me ask you, uh, you made uh, news uh, late last week when you announced uh, that uh, you were going to vote against the uh, platform uh, because of its omission of um, Bernie Sanders' uh, signature health care proposal, Medicare for All. Will you explain why you decided to uh, vote against the platform? Absolutely. Well, as you know, uh, Medicare for All was part of our platform until 1980. It was stripped during the Reagan revolution, and it was part of the essential promise of FDR and Harry Truman. And we now have a situation where millions of people have lost their jobs. How can we justify that if you lose your job, you should also lose your health care? This is the time the party needs to say, we believe in health care as a human right. Uh, Medicare should cover everyone. Now, I respect that Joe Biden won the primary and he should be able to run on his uh, own campaign agenda. But certainly as a party, we can have a platform that affirms uh, Medicare for all as our goal. Okay. Uh, Let me ask you this about uh, Joe Biden. Um, How do progressives feel in general? 
it's pretty obvious reading news reports there's some dissatisfaction among progressives, noticeably the omission of Medicare for all from the party platform. Are Democrats going to come out of this convention united? Yes. I mean, I, I think even the Bernie delegates who uh, are lukewarm about uh, Biden have, for example, a site uh, on Roots Action saying that uh, no one should vote uh, third party if you care about defeating Donald Trump and that this is a moral imperative uh, to elect Joe Biden. So uh, I, I don't think you can expect all the entire uh, d- delegation of Bernie supporters or progressives to uh, sign up for uh, Joe Biden's entire agenda. But I think you can expect them to be 110 percent committed to his election, which I think just shows that our party welcomes intellectual dissent and disagreement but still will unify around the candidate. But I see a lot more uh, unification around Biden than uh, Biden-Harris than in 2016. Uh, and partly, I think it's just the uh, having suffered through four years of Trump and seeing the egregiousness of what Trump uh, is trying to do, uh, that has been a rallying cry for uh, progressives. Yeah, I've always thought, well, first of all, it looks to me that in terms of progressive thought, Democrats are in a lot better shape, more unified than they were in 2016. You know, I've seen various estimates that anywhere up to 20 percent of the uh, supporters of Bernie Sanders in 2016 either did not vote. Some voted for Trump, some voted for uh, Jill Stein, the Green Party candidate. Uh, But it looks to me, based on what I see in the survey, is that figure of uh, Sanders supporters deserting the Democratic ticket uh, is going to be a lot lower this year than it was in 2016. And I agree with you. One of the determining factors is that the uh, reality of a Donald Trump presidency is a lot more threatening than the prospect of one was in 2016. It also seems to me, and since uh, the primaries were over effectively in March, Joe Biden has tried to, uh, first of all, uh, be conciliatory to uh, Sanders supporters, which I don't think was the case in 2016 with Hillary Clinton. And also, he's made some policy movements that progressives are happy with, even though Medicare for all is not one of them. What's your assessment? I agree with that. Uh, I think one of Joe Biden's uh, strengths as a, as a politician, as a political leader, is his desire to build consensus, to build relationships. Uh, He did a very good job uh, courting Bernie Sanders and many of his supporters and uh, reached out personally, had his team reach out personally. And it wasn't just lip service. I mean, these uh, task forces have uh, created some policy movement on his side. And more than the concrete policy movement, I think it signals that a Biden presidency will have uh, progressives part of the decision-making, part of uh, the process. And so that, to me, is one of uh, Biden's great strengths. Uh, he, by uh, nature, is someone who seeks uh, consensus. He seeks uh, to, to, to build coalitions. Uh, and, and I think he's shown that uh, in how he's uh, handled himself with the divisions within our own party.
Okay, our guest in this segment is uh, California Representative Ro Khanna, uh, who, besides everything else he does and has achieved, is the uh, co-chair of the California delegation to the Democratic National Convention. We will be back and have more with uh, Congressman Khanna uh, after these messages, uh, and uh, we're going to preview the Democratic National uh, Convention meeting uh, that starts today. Today. I was going to say in Milwaukee, but it really won't be in Milwaukee. It will be uh, a virtual convention, uh, but I think we'll have as uh, much fun as uh, we usually do. Uh, anyway, uh, we're going to break now. Uh, we'll be back with more of uh, Congressman Connor and more on today, the beginning of the Democratic National Convention today. And we hope you'll stay with us through these messages. Uh, we'll be right back with more of Deadline DC with Brad Manning. Welcome back to more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Our guest in this segment is Congressman Ro Khanna, who represents the 17th Congressional District of California, deep in the heart of Silicon Valley. I always want to say deep in the heart of Texas for some reason when I say <laughs> that, uh, but it's deep in the heart of Silicon Valley uh, in California. Uh, Congressman Connor, uh, besides being the co-chair of the California delegation to the Democratic National Convention, is an assistant whip in the House Democratic Caucus. Uh, he is also vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. And in fact, he was the co uh, national uh, co-chair of Bernie Sanders' uh, campaign for president. Uh, let's try this. One of the things, uh, we've had a flurry of, uh, national polls come out, um, in the last two days. Uh, on average, they show, uh, that Joe Biden is ahead by about 10 points. Uh, the Rangers, uh, come from four points plus in a CNN poll, uh, to 12 points, uh, 11 points in an NBC Wall Street Journal poll. Uh, one of the things uh, that's pretty clear is that Joe Biden is getting a big boost uh, because uh, a large majority of Americans feel that uh, Donald Trump has done a miserable job uh, handling the COVID-19 pandemic. One thing that strikes me as odd, though, is that uh, Joe Biden has a significant advantage uh, over Donald Trump on any issue can imagine in the national polls, uh, fighting the pandemic, uh, race relations, uh, health care, uh, the environment. Uh, but uh, Donald Trump seems to hang on to a very slight advantage, uh, and I mean a slight advantage, uh, on handling the economy, which I find is very odd uh, since uh, we had a massive dip in the gross national product uh, after the uh, second quarter of this year. Millions of Americans are unemployed, and those Americans who don't have jobs are are, have run out of uh, pandemic relief benefits. So, uh, Congressman, please tell me why you think uh, um, 
uh, Donald Trump still has an advantage of handling the economy when he's faulted. He's faltering on so many other issues and what Joe Biden can do about it. Well, I think that's the one number, Brad, in all these polls that's of some concern. I mean, I think uh, Joe Biden and, and Kamala Harris, uh, uh, it, the smart money is on them. I think they're very well positioned. But the only possible opening Donald Trump has is on this econ economy. That's why I've said that our four days of the convention just needs to hammer home an economic message that we're the party to rebuild this country, that we're going to rebuild it uh, for working Americans, middle class Americans, that Donald Trump made a lot of promises to people about bringing manufacturing back, about helping the working class. That's not happened. In fact, we've moved backwards and are in one of the biggest economic crises. And here is our plan and vision uh, for uh, rebuilding the working class and middle class. I think that's, at the end of the day, what people need to come out of this convention uh, hearing. And I'm hopeful that Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, uh, I know Elizabeth Warren, someone we both respect for that perspective, can help do that. And, and of course, uh, Biden and Kamala Harris. But to me, uh, that has to be the theme of the convention. Uh, you know, based on what you know, is that going to be the theme of the convention? I know it's going to be part of the theme of Bernie Sanders' speech, who I, of course, uh, know the, uh, the best. Uh, I, I understand that coronavirus is going to figure in uh, pretty heavily into the convention, which I think is important. But my view is that people have already uh, discounted Trump on issues of uh, coronavirus, on issues of race, on, uh, on issues of the environment. I think that we already have won that case. Now, we should uh, continue to make it, but that's not where we have to convince people. I think where we have to convince people is on the economy. And so, uh, you know, everyone I've talked to in the campaign, and for my two cents, I've said, let's make this convention uh, as economically focused as possible. Well, you're right about uh, that. Uh, just for example, uh, NBC News and Wall Street Journal released a new national survey yesterday. And uh, when uh, voters were asked to choose the which of the candidates would do a better job of fighting the uh, coronavirus pandemic, uh, Jill Biden had a 20-point advantage on that. But when they asked uh, Americans, uh, how which of the candidates would do a better job on the economy? Donald Trump had a four-point advantage, which really stunned me. Considering, uh, let's face it, uh, the economy's in the crapper, uh, and for some reason, uh, Joe Biden hasn't. Uh, registered on that yet. Now he's released, in my mind, a fairly aggressive economic plan. Uh, what do you think isn't registering? I don't think it's not that it's not registering. I think Donald Trump has a an image, uh, though false, as a businessman, as someone who uh, understands the, the the markets and 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 was on The Apprentice, and so he has a lot of sort of image that doesn't uh, that doesn't match up with the reality. And I think we have successfully prosecuted the case with him when it comes to coronavirus, when it comes to race, when it comes to the environment and foreign policy. I don't think we've spent enough time. Uh, telling people that uh, he, he lied and cheated about what matters most to them, their jobs, their livelihood. He promised all these jobs would come back. He promised these communities would be thriving, and, and they're not. And here's our vision. So I just think we have to emphasize that more. Uh, Biden's got great plans on buying from American manufacturing. The question is, what is the theme that's going to emerge uh, from the end of the convention? And what I would like one sentence theme to be is, uh, Joe Biden's going to do a better job building back America than Donald Trump. 
Yeah, I think uh, you're right about that. Uh, obviously, Americans have soured, uh, and I think they soured a long time ago on uh, Donald Trump's feeble fight against the pandemic. Uh, but, uh, you know, James Carville used to say it's uh, it's the economy, stupid. And, uh, yeah, I agree. We need Democrats need to do a better job of uh, making the case on the economy uh, because it strikes me the discrepancy between between Donald Trump's relatively positive uh, ratings on the handling the economy and the actual crappy uh, situation of the economy is glaring, and somehow we need to, uh, you know, bring those, you know, square that, uh, uh, cross that T and dot those I's on the economy. Uh, let me ask you uh, tonight. Uh, Every, uh, every night, actually, you've got lots of speakers. Uh, tonight, we have an interesting pairing. Uh, we have uh, Bernie Sanders uh, giving a speech. Uh, we also have uh, former Republican Governor John Kasich uh, giving a speech. Uh, and here you have um, a very progressive Democrat speaking uh, and a conservative Republican. Uh, what do you think of that mix? Well, obviously, I think that John, uh, that Bernie Sanders is going to give a very powerful speech and, and speak to the moment. You know, I don't I'm not obsessed about Kasich, uh, but uh, I'm not sure what he he gets us. I mean, the Republicans uh, uh, have, have disowned him. He didn't even endorse uh, Trump in 16. And uh, I think he's a disliked figure on the Republican Party and he's not very well respected on our party. I think it, it, him speaking at our convention does more for John Kasich than it does for the Democratic Party. But it's one speaker. It is what it is. Now, I think if we had veterans, if we had uh, people who were former Republican leaders in their communities uh, giving testimonials about why they're switching to Joe Biden, which I think we will, I think that can make a, a significant difference. Okay. Uh, you obviously, and I've already said this, were co-chair of uh, Bernie Sanders' uh, presidential campaign. Uh, can you give us a preview? What do you think uh, Senator Sanders is going to say tonight? I think he's going to hammer home the message on health care as a human right and Medicare for all at a time where we have a great health crisis. And he's going to say, now is the time for us to finish the FDR mission to, to give everyone health care. And uh, if we can't do it during a a crisis of like the pandemic, when are we going to do it? I think he'll point to other countries that have uh, more universal healthcare coverage and how they've had a better response to the pandemic. And then I think he's going to talk about economic issues for working Americans and the working class and talk about our obligation to help people with rent, to help people who have student loan debts and make sure those are forgiven, to help make sure that we have a jobs program uh, to rebuild this country. So what you will see in, in my view is a a vision of a, a new New Deal uh, and uh, and a vision of why uh, the Democrats will be much better for working class Americans than than Donald Trump. OK, uh, our guest in this segment uh, has been Congressman Ro Khanna. I want to thank the congressman for joining us today, because as co-chair of the California delegation uh, to the National Convention, I'm sure he's very busy today. So I want to thank him for taking time out uh, and joining us today. Uh, and I hope we can have the congressman back uh, before Election Day to uh, give us an update on the Democratic campaign. 
anyway, we're going to break now, uh, and we get back from break. Our guest will be Anissa uh, Singh uh, from the uh, Planned Parenthood Action Fund, and uh, we'll talk more about the Democratic uh, Convention in our special uh, Democratic Convention preview show. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Our guest in this segment is Anissa Singh, who is the Director of Judiciary and Democracy Affairs for the Planned Parenthood Action Fund. Anissa is also one of my favorite guests, and so I'm glad she could join us today, uh, which is probably a very busy day for her. Anissa, thanks for coming back onto Deadline DC. Thank you, Brad. Thank you so much for having me back. It's a pleasure. Okay, let's start with this. Uh, Kamala Harris is the first person of Indian descent to be nominated for national office by a major party, and she is the first black woman to be nominated at all. Uh, will you uh, explain in your own words what the national significance of this is? I mean, it's 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 even more than that, right? She's the first Asian American uh, to be nominated, this first South Asian, the first Indian American, the first woman of color, the first black woman, the first Jamaican woman, the first child of immigrants. She's representing so many different uh, constituencies, so many communities throughout America, and everyone can see themselves in her. And that's what I think is so beautiful about uh, Joe Biden picking her, uh, you know, at a time when people are looking for something hopeful. Um, you have this strong woman uh, who just really speaks to all of us in some way, shape or form. Um, and it's not just that. It's not just her um, background that she's bringing with her. It's also who she is as a person. There's no doubt that she's someone who will electrify the ticket and play a vital role in defeating Donald Trump. Um, you know, her role in this election is going to help Joe Biden really push that narrative forward. She's going to be ready on day one. And we know that she's able to ask the hard questions and get answers, uh, whether it's from her time going toe to toe with uh, Jeff Sessions or Brett Kavanaugh in Senate hearings um, or holding the administration um, accountable over racial justice issues. Uh, so we at Planned Parenthood Action Fund and myself personally as an Indian American, uh, we're really proud and thrilled to have uh, Senator Harris as our uh, the nominated vice president and to be joining Joe Biden uh, on the ticket. Well, you mentioned it. You're of Indian American descent yourself, as is Kamala Harris. What does this uh, her selection, what does her running for vice president mean to you personally? Representation matters, right? We say this a lot and it's a it's a very tokenized statement, but it actually has significance. I'll, I'll never forget um, calls I've been on with people who have looked to me for mentorship, uh, you know, who are Indian women uh, will say, you know, I didn't think politics was a place for us, but watching you in that space gives me hope and, and having your mentorship has really helped me feel motivated to do that work. And I, and I feel like that's such a small level and such a small scale compared to what Kamala Harris um, really represents for all of us. Growing up, I didn't have that kind of in individual to look to who came from a background like me, who looked similar to me, who had parents who were immigrants like mine, um, who really could lead the way and make me feel like it's a place for me. Um, so for the Democratic Party to now have someone who, who really does exemplify that and really allows us to see representation um, and feel like we can do it too, uh, is really meaningful. Um, you know, I, I, I wrote this on my Twitter, but literally 
little Anisha would have been in awe just seeing this on TV. And I think big Anisha is too, um, just really appreciating what this moment means for our community. Um, and I'll say, you know, having family members, the aunties and uncles of our community, seeing um, Kamala Harris's parents and mother and aunts and uncles wearing Indian garb in their family photos. And to know that that's coming from the vice president of the United States of America, our nominee for the vice president of the United States of America is really, really powerful and meaningful and gives us a sense of belonging. Uh, let me ask you about uh, something else about uh, Senator Harris. Uh, the uh, uh, President Trump's uh, early response to her selection was uh, he described her as being a nasty woman. Um, Rush Limbaugh used the word to describe her, which I refuse to use on the air. Uh, and you would think after all this time, uh, Republicans would get the idea that uh, women um, have made their way in politics. They re represent a significant political force. I mean, uh, looking yesterday, I was looking at the new NBC Wall Street Journal poll. And actually, uh, by the way, uh, Senator Harris was the only one of the four national candidates to have a net uh, positive favorability, which I thought was interesting. Uh, but the other thing that I saw is that uh, Donald Trump had a slight lead. Uh, I think he was ahead 47 to 43 among male voters. Um, but the Trump-Pence ticket was uh, losing uh, female voters by more than 20 points. And, you know, I don't understand... Uh, you know, why they treat uh, female politicians the way they do, especially, you know, their treatment, their comments on Senator Harris. And, you know, don't they look at these polls? I, I guess my question is, is it a surprise to you that they're, they've responded this way to Senator Harris's uh, candidacy? I, it's no surprise at all. I mean, this is what we saw in 2016 around Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton was also deemed a nasty woman. Um, and this is kind of the narrative that we expected. And we see it time and time again, women who fight more, who move into leadership positions, who know what they want, who challenge the system, uh, who are knocked down, but yet get back up are told to wait, to be quieter, to be nicer, um, to sit back and, and let others lead. Um, Kamala Harris is not the person to let that happen. And so, you know, we're seeing that she's getting the same the same kind of uh, rhetoric that we've seen before. And this is especially true for women of color more so than any other uh, woman because of, you know, her background. And so they're questioning her citizenship, they're questioning her uh, qualifications for VP, and, and they're questioning her credibility. But um, the great thing about Kamala Harris is we've seen, like I said, time and time again, she is a fighter. She's not one to take it. Um, she will fight back. She will give it back. And it'll be really interesting to see how she leads uh, in the next couple of months. Let me ask you another question. Uh, Barack Obama served uh, eight years, two terms as president. And so my question to you is, after having an African-American president for eight years, is it still a big deal uh, that uh, Kamala Harris is a woman of color, is on a national ticket, or we've been there, done that? 
I mean, we've had a, an African-American male, but we haven't had a, a black woman, right? And, and like I said, there's so many firsts that come from this that, that Barack Obama did not bring. Asian-American, Indian-American, woman of color, black woman, Jamaican woman, um, child of immigrants. So all of these uh, identities she brings is, is new to the, to the floor. Um, she also has her own uh, take. She has her own agenda. She has her own um, record um, that is separate from uh, Barack Obama and that is necessary at this moment. And so um, this is a, a wonderful opportunity for us as a country to get behind um, someone that has the leadership skills that we need to, to address the moment at hand. You know, this is just an editorial comment on my part, but I think one of the striking things of uh, Senator Harris's uh, selection as a running mate is in the first Democratic presidential debate, uh, she attacked uh, uh, Joe Biden rather aggressively. Uh, and despite that, uh, and despite some, apparently some of Biden's staffers still had um, problems with that, uh, Joe Biden made her uh, his running mate anyway. And I think it's a testament to Senator uh, Joe Biden that he was he chose a woman, uh, obviously, just based on that first presidential debate, who's very strong, very independent uh, and chose her anyway. And then I thought to myself, I don't see any way in the world that Donald Trump would have picked Kamala Harris or anybody who attacked him so aggressively uh, to be on the ticket with him. And I think that says something about Joe Biden, which I'm very pleased about, actually. Yeah, I mean, the, the bar is quite low um, when it comes to Donald, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Donald Trump um, and morals and values and the ability to take a step back and let others lead. Um, that's something that we are seeing Joe Biden is able to do um, to bring back those values, that compassion, that empathy, um, morals back to the White House and to our country uh, and to the leadership, uh, uh, you know, the leadership and the agenda that he brings forward. Um, and he recognizes the value of Kamala Harris and he recognizes that she challenged him in ways that he is going to need um, to have someone behind him and next to him uh, throughout the uh, four or eight years that that he is able to serve. So um, I think it was a very uh, smart decision on his part. And we, again, here at Planned Parenthood Action Fund are just so pleased with his decision to choose Kamala Harris. Okay. Uh, thank you very much, Anisha. Our guest in this uh, segment is has been Anisha Singh. She's the Director of Judiciary and Democracy Affairs at the Planned Parenthood Action Fund. Uh, that's all for the show today, friends. Uh, thanks to our guest, Representative Ro Kahana, uh, Democratic strategist Anisha Singh, and Kimberly Scott, the publisher of DemList. I'm here Mondays at 3, 3 p.m. Eastern time. If the Lord is willing, the creek don't rise and Donald Trump doesn't declare martial law, which is an increasing possibility, I think, sadly. This is Brad Bannon. Stay strong, stay safe, and don't drink Clorox or the Kool-Aid. I don't care what the president says. And make sure to come back uh, next Monday at 3 p.m. And also, uh, I'll tomorrow at 3 uh, 320 uh, Eastern Time. I'll be on Leslie Marshall's show. So if you didn't get enough of me today, uh, you can have another shot of Brad tomorrow. Thanks very much. And I'll talk to you again next Monday. Add a little play to your day with the Michigan Lottery. Over 90 online instant games to choose from with prizes up to $500,000. 
A Marquette County woman recently won $250,000 playing online. Could you be next? Sign up online today to receive 10 free games with promo code FUN. Visit michiganlottery.com to add a little play to your day. At Speedway, we've always been here to get you what you need when you need it. We're committed to keeping our stores open, clean, and safe, so you can stay fueled and refreshed all summer long. We've got cold drinks for hot days and frozen drinks for even hotter ones, plus energy boosts, quick bites, and pick-me-ups. We're always on your way, and we're always here for you. So no matter what you need, when you stop by, we'll be ready. Now buy any three cooler beverages and get 500 bonus Speedy Rewards points.